stories, scripts, and conversations with creators. This is the Brave Maker Podcast. The Brave Maker Show is hosted by Tony Gapperstone. Thanks for tuning in. It's showtime. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the sickly episode, episode 217. I say sickly because you're going to have to deal with my nasalness for the next hour, and I apologize, but it's going to be worth it for our special guest. I'm Tony Gaffestone. My pronouns are he, him, his. I am a filmmaker and an actor, a screenwriter, director in Redwood City, California. That is the Bay, the Bay Area, and you can find me on all the socials at my name, Tony Gapastone, or my website, TonyGap.com. I would love to connect with you there. Thank you for being on the journey with us through, we're going into our sixth year as a Brave Maker film organization and festival nonprofit. We've been doing these conversations for uh, every week for years now, and we normally do them once a week. But because we found this really cool filmmaker with a really important story, I was like, how can we squeeze this in? How can we make this happen? Especially because this filmmaker is in some really cool places and there's a lot of buzz going around uh, her newest short film called Take Me Home. So with that, I'm going to welcome our guest for episode 217, Liz Sargent. Hello, Liz. Hi, Tony. Thank you for having me. Um, Heck yeah. Thank you. Like for letting me aligned with everything I want to do with this film, so yes, I love that. <laughs> I love that, and we're going to get into your backstory and all the things that and places that Take Me Home has been. But why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, give a, a visual description for our audience, if you would? Sure. Um, so I'm Liz Sargent. I'm the writer director for Take Me Home. Um, I'm an Asian female. My pronouns are. Um, she, her, hers. Um, I am wearing a very nubbly uh, little jacket that I love to keep me warm and comfortable. Um, and I uh, have a large facial birth birthmark on my uh, right cheek. Right on. And I am a Caucasian man with, uh, like I said, a nasally nose with yellow glasses and brown graying hair, black t-shirt in my Brave Maker studio that has the words Brave Maker in very loud, bright pink. Uh, so Liz, I'm really happy that we connected on social media, which I think happens a lot in Brave Maker. Maybe 50% of the people that we connect either come from recommendations or people I've met in person along the way and others that I just start reading about and I just go, let me follow them. Let me see if I can connect with them. It's the beauty and the positive element of social media in this creative industry. So I love that you were so um, open to jumping on here within a week time. I feel like this was a pretty quick turnaround. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's incredible. I can't believe um, just like the journey that this film has had in the last year. And I yeah. think everything has just sort of um, just happened by chance and um, you know, yeah, a lot of luck. So I'm happy that you're part of this this film's life. <laughs> right on. Luck and a ton of hard work. So we'll talk about that, that hard work. But why don't you first just tell me, I'm curious, your origin story. Like how did you become a filmmaker and writer? And the cool fact, if you're listening, part of the hook is Liz cast her real sister into her narrative scripted short film. So uh, we're going to chat more about that. But how'd you start in this business? Yeah, I mean, I guess um, I studied modern dance in college. Um, and then I was doing a little bit of experimental theater in New York City. Um, so I was doing like super esoteric work um, and just sort of growing up in New York and becoming an adult and I started thinking about um, just more like adult pro issues that I was having or adult, um, yeah, just like real life growing up um, um, questions. So I basically, you know, I grew up in a suburb of Chicago. My parents are white Midwesterners. Um, they had four biological kids and then they adopted seven more. 
Um, six of them are Korean and several of them have different disabilities. And so I think at that age in like my 20s, when I was um, in uh, New York making this work, you know, just sort of like passionate, weird stuff, um, I started thinking about, uh, uh, I guess I was more, I guess the bigger thing was like, I was challenged with the stories and the lives around me. Um, a big thing that was happening then was a, a sister of mine was going through mental health challenges. Um, and I was trying to figure out how we, how I could help her and how I weighed my own independence with her needs and what my responsibilities to her were, um, Meanwhile, my sister Anna, who stars in the movie, uh, was growing up and um, we were sort of thinking about her future caregiving. Um, and that was a conversation that I think my parents were afraid to have with me. Um, and so I just started making work that was looking at the future, using the characters and the people in my life, life that I know um, and crafting those stories that I was afraid, those conversations I was afraid to have. Um, so that's sort of where it started. Um, you know, I met my husband about, uh, 10 plus years ago. Um, and I met him because I wanted to make film and I wanted to learn about film. Um, and I didn't know anything. Um, and so, uh, we just connected on, um, like the creative side. And then he is a born and raised indie filmmaker. Um, and he gave me chances to be an art director, a production designer. And then I was like the production manager for this indie low budget. And I just busted my ass and figured it out. Um, and that's, that was like the most beneficial thing to me because I got to touch all the pieces of film, um, and, and just figure them out for myself. Um, yeah. It's sort of. <laughs> I kind of, I kind of. Oh, sorry. I kind of love that you talked about fear and tackling things that you were afraid in your, in your work, that that was a way that you coped or, you know, explored or, or found hope and solution. That's kind of a beautiful way to uh, talk about our arts. You know, there's so many ways we enter into the artistic process, but that's definitely one of them, right? <laughs> is, to, is to tackle those big life questions. Uh, real quick, what part of Chicago suburbs? I'm from Illinois as well. Oh, really? Where are you yeah. from? You tell me. <laughs> I was born in Evanston, lived oh. in Buffalo Grove. Uh, I have family in Palatine and Lombard currently right now. Okay. Um, we grew up in Wilmette. Um, okay. So, yeah. And so it was like, I always joke that it's like the John Hughes suburb of America. Yeah. You know, like, uh -huh. And that was like the time we grew up there. And so we yep. had one of those huge houses. Yeah. Um, except our house was full, <laughs> every yeah. single room. Um, yeah. yeah, so it was really like ideal, like magical way to grow up. But um, our family was totally an outsider in ways. Mm -hmm. Although I would say that in the 80s, there were a lot of adoptions. There were a lot of um, Korean and Chinese adoptions, and there were a lot mm -hmm. in our neighborhood. So we had um, like three or four families who also adopted um Asian children and also children with disabilities. So, um, yeah. So it was a strange norm. <laughs> strange norm is a great way to title it. <laughs> I like that. Uh, so can you chat a little bit about, um, your family dynamic and how that has, you know, it's, it's shaped you as a person, as a human, you have, a, a worldview. Uh, you have, you know, siblings who are biological, who are adopted, siblings who have disabilities that has impacted you. And that's really what your film is about. Uh, independence and identity and compassion and empathy. I'd love you just to share a little bit about some of those. I guess it's more like your personal human identity and how you navigated through that as a, a human in, in the world. Mm. Uh, wow, that's a big question. <laughs> and um, maybe I'll, I'll uh, talk about, uh, I, I, I feel like my identity is on like so many different levels, right? I've been thinking a lot about adoption and all of these, all of these ideas about my identity are so recent. Like I used to sort of repress them all and just sort of like push through the world blindly. And part of that is I think because I have a birthmark and um, mm. I, and you know, people look at me. Um, mm. and I can, you can sense that in the world. And mm -hmm. I think me sort of had to turn that off, 
Um, and uh, yeah, uh, I'm a little distracted by the visuals. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's an interesting image. Um, uh, yeah, so I guess like that, my birthmark was a big thing. Um, I was told growing up that it was maybe a sign of bad luck. Um, and that was why I was given up for adoption. And oh then I would God. also hear that like it's maybe seen as an angel's kiss. Um, and I think those dual ideas about this, you know, this piece of my identity just made me really wonder about like the truth and balance of stories. Um, and I think that about that in adoption as well. You know, you're born and people say that your mother loved you so much that she gave you up. And mm. like, what a weird, twisted thing. <laughs> um, so I think, yeah. So, th so that's a big part of how I've been like thinking about storytelling. Um, you know, the first film that I made was written after I had found my uh, biological mother and, um, I found out she existed in three siblings and I freaked out um, because all I saw on media were these like these like these reunions where people were just crying and just like feeling like their identity was totally, you know, um, healed or their personality was like shifted. And um, I was like, I'm a grown woman. I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't I just don't know. Uh, how I feel about all of this or the questions I want to ask or like how I'm going to connect to the closest and the furthest person to me in life. Anyway, so I wrote a script off of that and then I filmed it and then I met my mother afterwards and then I went to the edit. And so all of that, that those questions and ideas are captured in that. And I think that's the same thing that I did with take me home as well is um, I'm really unsure about um what the future for my sister is and about all the systems and, and the healthcare systems for people with disabilities mm -hmm. in America. Mm -hmm. um, and I was sort of finding that out on my own. Um, and it's, you know, um, an impossible, futile struggle <laughs> to figure out uh, benefits for people. Um, and I was sort of just weighing, you know, uh, I, I guess I'm sort of like, I feel like I was, a, I'm a multitasker, right? Yeah, <laughs> this is the thing yeah. that I'm doing in my life. I want to be an artist. So how do I do fulfill myself and also take care of my family? Um, and so that's a big part of how I was writing Take Me Home, um, mm -hmm. which is also something that I'm looking into the future, using people from my real life and sort of carving out this moment of co in conversations. Um, so, yeah. Um, and and I guess that film, because I'm not that inventive and everything's just so personal, like from like my diary, from like words that Anna has spoken, um, is is made in that way. And it was written in the voice of my sister in words that I've heard her speak in phrases and interactions that we've had in real life um, and then just projecting it into the future. Um, and that this film was filmed in my parents' house. It mm. stars... Uh, my sister, Anna, and, you know, the beauty of it, I think, is that she's in, you know, 95% of the film, if not 100. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, and I really just wanted the audience to stay with her um, because I think that there are a lot of disability films, but I think that the characters are actually supporting um, and I wanted her to really be leading it. Um, and I wanted the audience to stay with her, uh, point of view. Um, mm. and, and I didn't, I was like really trying to be conscious about not forcing her to be anything she isn't. Um, and, and to me, that is a lot about, um, her speaking patterns, um, mm -hmm. and the space between her words and that she makes incomplete sentences and we have to look in between that to understand what she's saying. Um, but deep down, she does know what's going on. Um, so I wanted her to be really like grounded in her disability, um, but also empowered. Um, and that was the biggest challenge. Um, and the challenge on set too, to allow her to be an actor. So mm. on and off camera, that's I think the biggest success and the biggest challenge. 
It's a beautiful short film. There's so many cool layers. Uh, if you're watching on the replay, it is playing uh, without the sound and music and stuff right now. You can watch it online. It's Google Take Me Home. It's on Omleto right now on YouTube. And I want, I, I'm a filmmaker myself. I teach screenwriting. I'm an actor. So I, I always love this process in hearing filmmakers talk. So you said a bunch of things. One thing I think I think is really an interesting, you know, vantage point is casting your own sister. Casting a non-actor in a scripted short film is beautiful. Is interesting. Is probably a, a hook in some way when people are, you know, programming the film in film festivals. Which congratulations, you've got a lot of traction on this film. You are a Sundance selection. And, 2023 Sundance is a special place in my heart. I've been going for the past 12 years, going again in January as well. I love it. It's so inspiring. So I guess I'd love to, and I also love your opening and closing images. And you even said this as you were chatting there, you're exploring themes here. Like what is it like for a person with disabilities and healthcare and the systems in America, in our country? And I'm always drawn to these types of stories because as a, a, a person who you know, was born in this country who walks around with privilege, I am becoming more and more aware of my, in, my blindness, my blind spots to injustices in marginalized spaces. And I think stories and films that sit me back a little bit and help me be critical and help me question and help me wonder and help me see through someone else's perspective is really cool. So I, I just wanted to applaud you on that. I, you know, it's very endeared to Anna. I know um, her rhythms and her speech reminded me of a friend of mine too, which was kind of fun. I was like, Oh, this reminds me of my friend. I, it was just really familial. And I really agree. You did a beautiful um, service to your sister by letting her be her on camera. And, you know, I'm sure we could talk a lot about all of those things in the edit and being on set with somebody who is like, this is my life, you know, and how do how do you do that? But um, so let's see if I could frame a question because I really, I really like the film. I want, I'd love to hear you talk about maybe things that came on screen that were unexpected that maybe were not planned in the script. Yeah. Um, well, I guess on that note, I mean, because Anna was born at two pounds, she had, um, they didn't do anything for her. Um, mm. so she developed a cyst on her brain. So she, um, has very little short-term memory. So that was like the first obvious huge challenge, but I wanted to cast her because I feel like the story is told in like the tension she holds in her shoulders and her body and um, her eyes and the subtleties. And I don't think that you can, you can imitate that or you can even communicate what that is to an actor really. Um, and so that was a big part of it. Um, but because she has a little short-term memory, we, we had to shift the way that we um, created mm. the environment for her. Um, and so what we did is we planned out every single shot and the lighting and the goal and the production design. And the goal was to get in, um, set it up and get out and leave as much time for the actors as possible. Um, and so the, the uh, actor who plays her sister um, has done a lot of theater. Um, she's done a lot of film. And she's just like a lovely, lovely human being who's just game to sort of mm. play and build things. And so we sort of did it on a structured improv where, um, you know, we, we broke down the scene. We do a little chunk and we would do it on repeat. Um, and I, And when it was Anna's line, I would yell out the line Anna would repeat it and she wouldn't sound very good. Um, and so we would just keep on doing the scene on a loop and I'd slowly pull back and Anna would, um, we would give her enough time to figure out a response and she'd slowly start remembering and figuring out what the scene was about. And she would say it in her own words. And I think that's why her performance feels, um, feels true. Um, and 
There was one time in the scene with a social worker where we were doing this scene for like 20 minutes and it just sort of became something else, which I think is from my like modern dance experimental theater background. I was like, let's just see what happens and just like open up the scene and just hit the emotional beats. Um, and um, Anna does this little monologue that's in the film that I think is so beautiful. It's just about how, you know, her mom is sick, but um, but she's going to be home soon and her sister's going to take care of it. And it sort of makes no sense, but you get a real sense of um, her reality and that she understands that something's really wrong. Um, but maybe people are withholding information from her because they're afraid to talk to her about it. Um, and I think that there's... Um, you know, we don't define Anna's disability in this, which I thought was to me important because I think so often when we immediately say, oh, this this character, you can see that they have Down syndrome or autism, mm -hmm. um, we make assumptions about who they are and we mm -hmm. sort of objectify them. And I wanted the audience to just be with Anna and feel like they could be Anna. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think withholding that makes you just sort of really have to go deep into, you know, her way of thinking. I appreciate that. Thank you for sharing all that stuff. I'm well aware as somebody who wants to learn and wants to be an ally that often sometimes um, the over effort we can put into trying to help uh, and or speak in certain languages can often be harmful and stereotyping. And I think that's one thing I'm learning too when it comes to the disability community. And I'm so grateful, you know, I'm learning, I'm working with someone next week who uh, has been really clear, like, please don't say I have Down syndrome. You can say I have an extra chromosome or whatever when you talk about mm -hmm. me, but I don't use that label. And I was like, okay, wow, this is really encouraging for me and also like maybe shattering the way that I understand how to navigate the space, but you want to honor what and how people move through the world. And it's such a, um, it's a humbling place to be, but also like a learning, a really cool learning place to be. So yeah, I think that's also an, an artistic choice. And I think as an audience member, we also don't need everything to be told to us. We can make, um, you know, find clues and, and ask our own questions as we're, as we're watching. So I think that's a really cool, cool part of that. Did you feel like you have been learning anything about your, your audiences as you've been showing your work around the country and it is in talk for some Oscar buzz, some, some short lists and things like that. What are you taking away from your own journey here making the film? Mm. Um, well, I'll say that um, I learned a lot in the film as well. Um, I learned about, assumptions that I was making about Anna um, mm. also. And I don't mm. know everything about disability at mm. all. <laughs> like I'm learning that conversation as we bring this out into the world, as we do community and educational screenings. And to me, it's like, there's no answer in this film. It's really to create a conversation. Um, and so that we can be open in what our definitions and what our questions and um, who these humans are. Um, so yeah, there is no right way. Every human is different. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, sorry, there's a garbage can outside. <laughs> <laughs> New to L.A. Um, uh, yeah, so what are we talking about? <laughs> Things that you learned along the way as you're oh, showing wow. these. And it's cool to hear you're doing a lot of, a lot of screenings. There is some, you know, you're getting a lot of press about the film. There's, you know, voting you know, happening in regards to the Academy, you know, anything you want to share that you've been learning along the way about yourself as a filmmaker, but then just even about like the, I mean, I say this, the, 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 the racket, you know, or the system you know, that we find ourselves in as filmmakers can really take a toll on us, you know, as we're, yeah. we're, we're artists, but there's also this commercial side of things and you've got to get the press and you've got to, you know, do the interviews, you know, even this, this is, you know, you're taking time out. You're like, oh my gosh, there's all these distractions. There's these buzzing things happening on the computer, right? Uh, what are you learning about that side of the film industry? Oh my gosh. Yeah. The emotional stamina is hard. Um, <laughs> and it's been hard from the making of the film into, you know, bringing it out in the world. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I guess that's the beauty of it. This is why they say that you have to really, really love your film. Um, and to me, it's like that the exploration and the learning has been from the writing, um, into bringing it out into the world, um, and seeing how people react to it. And I guess I've been really happy that, 
um, it's become like it's such a specific, specific story on every mm. single detail and level. Um, but it's ringing very universal. Um, mm. And I mean that not just about like um, people, siblings and uh, of people with disabilities or people with disabilities resonating with it, because that is a huge range of people and experiences. Right. Um, but people also who have like been caring for their parents who have Alzheimer's or dementia um, and uh, or people who have uh, illnesses. Um, I think the caretaking world is a very um, unseen community um, that works very hard and has a huge emotional toll. So um, I think just bringing that to the world with nuance is really, um, I feel like people feel very relieved that they can see also the sister character in this film. We've been getting <laughs> responses that she feels very harsh and sort mm -hmm. of mean. And um, I feel like that was a really important quality that I wanted in her um, because I think that um, it's like we're talking about people with disabilities. Like Anna is a dimensional human. She can be annoying. She can be stubborn. And they are real sisters who have a long history. <laughs> and family is not always like kind and patient to each other, even if they have disability. Like, and if you're a caretaker to someone, it's exhausting and you can be short and you cannot be your best person. And I think it's helpful for people to see that on screen and be like, you know what? <laughs> um, yeah, it's just, it's just, it's not, it's not all beautiful and heroic and, um, yeah, I think they just really identify with it. Um, and, and that makes me feel, um, like I did a good job. Like that's enough for me to bring it to life. Um, yeah. That's great. If you're just tuning in live or on the replay, I am talking with filmmaker Liz Sargent about her, Film festival, we can call it a darling, can't we? You've been selected in many, many film festivals. There's a lot of uh, great movement on it right now. This is episode 217 of the Brave Maker podcast. Liz, you um, right now you're getting the word out. More people are talking about it. You're exploring all different elements of caretaking, of disabilities, uh, of identity. Would you say, as a filmmaker, when you talked earlier about addressing fears in your film, would you say, in regards to the audience, and I'm picking these things up now too, that you don't um, always feel like you have to please an audience? You just got to be true to your artistic self. Talk a little bit about that. Like You chose a very specific story, so I'm thinking about filmmakers and storytellers out there. If there is some concern around the story that they want to tell, what do they do? How do they tackle it? Any kind of words of advice for the emerging filmmakers who are trying to figure out what to do with their uh, ideas in their head and bringing it to yeah. life? Um, I mean, the things that I'm sort of proud about for this are also, you know, the thing of like not defining Anna's disability. And also um, the two sisters are adopted in the film and we never talk about that, but it's sort of in the fabric of it. And they exist in a family where there's not a constant questioning about adoption and using that as a trope. And to me, that was really important. Um, and I guess I feel very lucky that this is an indie film and it was built off of um, a a fellowship with um, women who really believed and saw the film and trusted me um, and didn't force me to define those, um, those details of the film. Um, and yeah. And so it was, so I had a lot of control over it, which I think is, um, is, is the best part of how I made the team as well. Mm -hmm. You know, my husband was a producer and the DP um, and so everyone just sort of let me do whatever I wanted um, uh, in a situation that felt pretty risky, you know, like a low budget, non-actor uh, mm -hmm. woman who has very little short term memory and they just trusted that it was going to come together. And for me, it's like this is just like a different way of making a film. And I think that's the most important part about this is like, how do we make space for people with disabilities who really think differently to give the best performance and how can that be additive to the story? And I think, you know, Anna gave so much to this film 
Um, and, and I created space for her. Um, and I think that's what we need to do to really bring new voices um, to film is to give them the space to give like all the depth. Um, yeah. That's great. Give, give people space. I love that. Making space for all people. We're really passionate at Brave Maker about inclusivity and representation on screen. And that's a beautiful part of this. I like that. Uh, I'd love to talk some practical filmmaking, you know, things you've learned as a director. What are some things that you go, you know, I will never do this part again, or I will not make this mistake twice. Or, you know, do you have as a filmmaker, your best practices on set? You know, for instance, I stole this idea from Ava DuVernay, but I always change at lunch mostly my shut my socks and shoes but sometimes i do a full change because i feel like i have to sweat through my clothes and i need like to feel like i'm in a fresh day so i come back and people are like did you take a shot i'm like no i just changed my shirt so you know whatever like that helps me reset after lunch to have mm-hmm. a fresh change what about you what are some things like that you always do and some things that you just never do yeah uh self-care is not my strong <laughs> I'm sure that is not the story people want to hear, but I just Mm -hmm. sort of like plow through things a lot of the time. Yeah. yeah, So, uh, but the tricks that I've learned, I mean, I think, I think I used to think that I didn't know the answers for everything. Um, And, and when I, when I've created more space and sort of given up and let, let, I've, I've let the scene and the situation breathe. I've gotten so much more out of the performance. Um, and I think I'm happy that I have this background in modern dance and theater because it sort of gives me this skill to look at this situation um, from a different angle for every film that I make. Um, and so I don't really have strict rules. I just sort of look at the whole thing and try to tackle it um, probably in an unhealthy way where I just put my whole self into it. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Filmmaking it's, it's unlike any other thing. And even as I'm, you know, nasally today and I'm trying to get healthy, I think part of my immune system right now has been because I'm going, going, going. I'm trying to get to the end of the year, running this nonprofit, getting out. We have, I have two short films I'm shooting this month. I am burning all ends of my, you know, strength and energy. And I think it really does take a lot of self-assessment to go, okay, I do have to push through and hopefully I can have some space. I'm always convicted when I see those memes, you know, on social media about how creatives need a day to do nothing. You're, you have to, you know, you have to make yourself not create in order to be a better creator. I'm like, ah, I'm so convicted by that. I really need to give myself some space to do that because it's not, it's not easy. And, you know, there's also uh, the need to pay bills and I need to find gigs to be able to come through. Uh, you speaking of finances, you have received some great amount of support. It seems like from what I see, you know, you're a rain and grant recipient, which is from the SF film community, which is, you know, cool and near, dear to my heart. Cause I'm in the Bay area. What has that been like for you to find the support and the resources? Cause that's always a topic of conversation is how do we make our movies? How do we get the funds to do it? Do you have any thoughts around that other than just like survive until it happens? What's your, what's your tips around making movies and getting the resources to do so? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm from, you know, the downtown dance theater world where everything is scrappy on pennies. Like our mm-hmm. whole budget is, you know, nothing all mm-hmm. the time. Um, and so indie film is similar to that. Um, and, you know, I got lucky. The first film that I made, the first narrative film that I made um, was a competition with Ritz-Carlton and Hearst, and they produced that um, fully. Um, so it's really, it was a very, like, luxurious, incredible short film experience. Um, and I'm just trying to get back to that life. Um, so, uh yeah, so that sort of became my calling card. But after that, you know, I applied for, you know, a year, a year and a half, just nonstop. And I would just keep on getting to uh, the finalist round um, mm-hmm. and not moving forward. So I would just keep shifting and adjusting my scripts. Um, and I learned a lot through that. Um, but 
it was, it was really hard, <laughs> but I think that like throwing your work out there nonstop is really important and we are being seen and we are yeah. being tracked and you just yeah. have to know that it's a part it's of huge. it. Um, yeah. And have that blind faith. Um, you know, I also, you know, got a couple small, uh, grants and, um, and fellowships where I was started building community and had backing and support. And I, I, I used that as a jumping point really hard to build off of it. And so I think the momentum of your career is, um, is sort of on you. <laughs> um, it doesn't just come to you. It doesn't just happen. Like everything has been like an uphill push, even though it looks like it's just been smooth sailing. Um, and I think that's important to know, <laughs> um, because I'm waiting for it to be easy. Um, <laughs> but you'll wait like, a long time, won't you? Yeah. 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 You just have to keep on building the pieces and seeing it's like a strategy game to me. It's like a chess game. Um, yeah. but the reigning grant is a big deal to me. Like that's just sort of saving my butt at this point because it's been a year of in, an incredible festival run. Um, and, uh, we're pushing for an Oscar uh, campaign for the shortlist, which is December 21st. Um, and that's just been nonstop work um, and, um, and yeah, just getting the film out there. And that has not been paid. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and so it's been a really hard year, like the most fulfilling, but also the most unstable. We just moved from New York to LA um, we left our cats in New Jersey with a friend. We gave up everything. My husband's in Cyprus trying to make his feature film, finishing that up. Um, so, yeah, it's all up in the air. But I, I sort of just think we have to take this risk and know that we're going to land on our feet. Um, but the reigning grant is a big deal because it's the first time I'm going to have real time to sit down and write a script. Um, I've been trying to juggle writing with life. <laughs> Um, and, you know, having a family with several people who have disabilities mm -hmm. and needs, um, takes up a lot of time. So it's hard to find that space to have the creative process, which can be a lot of laying around and moaning. <laughs> and that is a part of the process, you know? Yeah, so. you must, you must have to bemoan the process because it is so hard and perseverance, there, I mean, so many people say this, but I did hear Kevin Bacon say there, there's only one secret to success and that's just persevere. You've got to get through it. You've got to keep going. You've got to move forward. You've got to keep going. That's it. That's the secret. Keep, keep, keep going. And yeah, moan along the way if you need to. I have just a couple more questions, Liz. So, uh, well, this grant, am I reading this correctly that you will be taking your short into a feature? Is that what's happening? We are. Yeah. Woo! Yeah. 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 I learned a lot from the film. We still want to have Anna centered in it and have her in like 90, a hundred percent of the film. I mean, yeah, wow. I guess like, I love her and I could just like look at her and think about, you know, what the depths of what she's thinking forever. So, um, but it goes deeper into her life with her parents mm -hmm. uh, where she's living in this home in Florida and her mother has aged into physical disability and her father is like, on the cusp of dementia and how they're living together um, in this sort of like tedious house of cards, you know, trying to hold on to their independence um, uh, while also falling into disability and showing how Anna still steeped in the reality of her disability is actually holding it all together for them. Um, so yeah, it still doesn't have answers at the end because I feel like I really want to activate the world to care about these characters, to care about these people, um, and to do something and to make, you know, healthcare and systems, um, more easy to access, um, and more available. Um, so yeah, that's what we're playing with so far. That's amazing. <laughs> Congrats to see this turn into a feature. That's really so many people. Everyone's got a different way in, but making a short that then parlays into a feature is a way to do it. So that's very cool. Congrats. And however Brave Maker can help along the way, please let me know. I'd love to um, help and get the word out and support however. Um, so I have one more question, which is about film festivals. We do our film festival and you into so many. 
But before I ask that, I'm going to bring up, we have Andrew Carpenter says, wondering if you ever thought you shouldn't make this project. And if so, how'd you get past that? So I guess, how do you get past all the, the, the forces that work against you, the negativity, the self-censoring, the the rejection? Mm, I wonder um, if he's talking about telling a personal story as well. Mm, Um, We'll question that. And two things I want to say that people wonder about is, you know, how much Anna understood about the process. And um, I just want to say that like people compare it to like a doc narrative. Um, And I think that's sort of demeaning to Anna because she does know the difference between real and pretend. Um, Mm -hmm. And when we were on set and, you know, there's the fight scene, which, you know, she goes into pretty heavy. Um, she would like stomp off of set and then I would hear her on her microphone inside and she'd immediately start talking to the crew and she'd be like, Hey guys, what's up? And she was totally Uh fine. Um, you know, and sometimes she would check in on the other actress and be like, I'm just joking. We're cool. Okay. Um, Mm -hmm. so the beauty of her is she's so present, you know, and that's why we get this amazing performance out of her. And that's what actors try to do. Like that is what an actor does. So, um, yeah. So, and I guess telling the personal story, I guess, um, you know, I tried to make a doc about my family a, a while back and it didn't work because, uh, because <laughs> I was very protective about, um, their perspective and who they are. And so I think, um, the way I get around that is that I make it fictional so I take all the pieces of it and I try to create some kind of poetry out of these ideas and leave an openness in it. Um, and and I guess the question of if I should have just just about how hard it is to make films, um, I, I think I always knew that I wanted to make it and I was always going to make it somehow because I knew it was an important story and I knew it was, um, I know it's original and I know I was going to tell it in a way that, um, that, that hasn't been seen. Um, so, and I still stand behind that. Um, mm. so, so it's easy to know that I was going to figure out a way to make it. I think it was just about convincing others to support me. Um, I was going to say, it sounds like when you know you commit, you have to follow up on your own commitment and you have to do whatever it takes to get other people to join you in that commitment, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's yeah. that's really great. Awesome. All right, last thing before we do our brave faves is film festival experience. What is something uh, or, or a few kind of bullet points you've learned along the way that you would encourage other filmmakers that get into film festivals to do things that have been helpful for you in the journey. You know, there's a lot of relationship building. There's a lot of panel discussions. What are things that have been helpful to you as you've learned? Hmm. Um, hmm. You know, I mean, I feel like it's, it's serendipitous how you meet people. Um, Uh And so I went into Sundance and South by um, having a lot of expectations and a lot of, just anxiety around it about like, am I doing this right? And I think there's no right way to do it. I'd say that about making a film as well. Um, (laughs) It's just how you get through it. Um, So I guess, you know, people have told me they're like, Oh, just have a good time. And I'm like, that's ridiculous. But I think it's true. Yeah. (laughs) Because that's when you'll find the best people. Um, And I'd also say, be careful because I think when you get into some of these big film festivals, people sort of like leech on to you and they might not have the best intentions. Mm. Um, And so I've been really skeptical about people who have come (laughs) and approached me after these um, big moments in my career. Um, So that's been hard to balance that kind of interest discernment right who are the best partners to link link with yeah that's a that's a big one uh sundance is i think we're a week away from them announcing their lineup so all of you filmmakers out there waiting to hear i know this is a tense week and there's such pressure and the odds are always not in our favor so hang in there whatever happens in your inbox uh but just to be encouraged how did it work liz for you do you, do you get the phone call when you get those special big film festival acceptances like South by and Sundance, what is that like? Um, 
Sundance was crazy. I mean, I'll tell you, I left my Vimeo nonstop to see where people were watching it. So I would have some kind of prep and just be like ready for disappointment. Um, uh, so yeah, but I got a call late at night from Utah and, um, they said, call us back. We're calling from Sundance. And I thought that they were going to quiz me on the film. So I was like freaking out and like (laughs) preparing like all these statements. Um, yeah. And then one of the programmers called me and, um, I was just in total shock. I think I was sort of an idiot. I was just like, okay, great. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Is that it? And then I just crossed my fingers and I was home alone and my husband was like in the mountains hiking for three days. So I couldn't oh, get on. No. So I just didn't know if it was real because I didn't have anything in writing. Yeah. Um, so I started, started sort of just started gaslighting myself. Um, yeah. Oh, gosh, that feeling. Appropriate story. Oh um, man. Yeah. It was totally surreal. Um, I always want to know like, cause Sundance is the elusive Mecca for so many filmmakers. And, you know, I keep, I keep applying even though I've been rejected and I keep going. Cause I think I know as a filmmaker who also has a film festival that there's just no way everybody's going to get in everywhere. So you just got to trust the right ones and yours will, your time will come and that kind of stuff. So if you don't get accepted into the festivals you want, you should still go because it's a great way to learn and connect and see who those people are. Know those pro- programmers. But I always wondered, yeah, like, are, def- definitely go before you mm-hmm. get in. I hadn't been to Sundance beforehand, and that was <laughs> so I was learning a lot when I went there. Oh, and also, you so many people. You can have yep. the same, a similar experience. Um, and on that note, I, I also, um, I always remind myself for Sundance that you know, I'm. It's obviously an incredible experience, but it doesn't mean that I had the best film ever. You know, it's programming is hard and there are so many amazing films out there. Um, and, and it's sort of the luck of the draw at a certain point. So it's like really, I think people put some of these festivals on this like very high level and it's not, you can have a career in so many different ways. It doesn't change your career. It starts some kind of momentum and that is a big deal. Um, but you can have that momentum in many different ways. It's not the only way. That's great. Good point, Liz. Thank you so much. All right. I'm going to Sundance along with a bunch of other Brave Maker people, and I have three spots in our condo. So if you need a spot, anybody DM me. We'll we'll get you connected right on Main Street. All right. Uh, Gosh, this was good. I could talk so much longer, and we've gone longer than we normally do. That means it's a good conversation. So thank you so, so much, Liz. Uh, Let's just do our quick quick and fun, rapid section called Brave Faves. Brave Faves. TV shows, films, books, songs, technology, clothing, podcast, food, and more. These are a few of our favorite people, places, and things. Brave Faves. All right. I'm going to fave just a real simple game. So maybe you're looking for a holiday gift for a friend or a family, something that you can play around the holiday table uh, in this next few weeks. It's called Sounds Fishy. It is a really fun, simple game that anybody could get into. It is like Balderdash, kind of reverse. It's basically like everybody gets a dealt a fish. You're either red or blue. There's one blue. The rest are red, you know, like a red herring. And then you have a question that is posed. So the person who is trying to guess will put a question up and only um, the person holding the card knows what the question is and everybody else knows what the answer is. So the person who has the blue fish says the right answer and all the red ones make it up. And then the person holding the card has to figure out who is lying. Which one sounds fishy? It's very, very fun, very, very simple. And I think it's a really fun gift that you can consider giving to anybody of any age. So sounds fishy is my brave fave. We played it over Thanksgiving. It was great. Liz, what do you got? Wow. I think I'm going to buy that. Sounds Do it. Um, Yes. I'll tell you, I have no idea what this game is, but Wingspan, my friends are like trying to force me to learn it. I don't know. It's a bird game, but everybody that I know is obsessed with it. So I, that's not really my brave fave because I have uh-huh. no idea what it is, but um, it, All right, I'm going to look it up. Let's go for it. Um, I mean, this week, I think that I was sort of saved by a friend of mine who has this um, 
this vintage shop in LA um, in Frogtown called Melodic Prince. She's a filmmaker as well. And um, I never can dress myself. That's why I'm in this. Um, and so it's sort of great. Vintage sort of scares me because it's just like a mess of stuff and I don't know how to go through it. But she, like, I trusted her and she gave me a couple pieces that I was like, oh, I don't know about this. But now they've become my favorite thing. So um, I think, yeah. So it's a store called Melodic Prince. It's actually just a vintage pop-up. So vintage pop-up. On Instagram. Okay, yeah. cool. So, yeah. Right on. Figure out your look. Thank you. All, all you LA people, go check out the pop-up. Melodic Prince will also find the Instagram and we'll post that with this clip this week. Awesome. Thank you so much, Liz. Do not go away. Everybody else, thank you for listening to episode 217. That's two in a week. And Liz Sargent, we encourage you to follow her, go to her Instagram and become a a follower of her work so that you can keep up with what's happening. And maybe we will be talking about Take Me Home as an Oscar-nominated short film. That's Lizzie Sarge on Instagram. I want to say thank you to our producer, Amy Cohen, from Austin, Texas, who's been with us today and does all of our behind-the-scenes work. Our intern, Jessica Cohen, who's going to cut up and edit all of these conversational sound bites and put them out for you to reshare on Instagram. So please do. And also our podcast editor, Barnell Amos, who will take the audio version and put it on all the apps and our social media producer, Carrie Alley, all out of Grand Rapids, Michigan. If you are not following us on Instagram and YouTube and all the places, uh, please do. We're everywhere at bravemaker.org. And this is really important, especially as, we, especially as we come to the end of the year. Brave Maker is a 501c3 nonprofit. So we can only do our work if and when people support us to do so. So uh, if you can be a generous person during this time and help us meet our end of the year goals, you can go to bravemaker.com slash donate or just use your phone to text the word Brave Maker to 44321. That's Brave Maker to 44321. And we're on Zelle and PayPal and all the places. And here's what your support does. Over 217 episodes of podcasting, our Brave Maker Academy that does screenwriting and acting and communicates uh, brave stories for community uh, screenings and panel discussions. Our annual film festival in July, which will be year six, July 11th through the 14th in 2024. So many cool opportunities. We would love for you to be a partner uh, with us in our work. Thank you so much, everybody. Thank you so much to Liz Sargent, a filmmaker from... Well, I just think Illinois it was uh, Mar- no, Marquette. No, Wilmette. Wilmette, Wilmette, Illinois, now in Los Angeles. Uh, so thank you so much, Liz, for being a part of the show. We'll stay in touch. And I'm really happy for you. And I'm sure we will find a way to connect in the future with your future work because you're definitely a, a brave maker in, in so many ways. Uh, I would love you not to go away because I do have one more question for you uh, on the other side. But until then, everybody, brave stories change the world and you are the story. We'll see you soon. Brave Maker is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Our work is funded by generous patrons like you. Support the podcast with a tax-deductible donation at bravemaker.com. Thanks for listening to the Brave Maker podcast. Subscribe, give us a rating, and share with a friend.